welcome to the Deeply Disgusting Movie Podcast. I am Dale Maxfield. I am joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rilland. Hey! And every week we discuss a movie, and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services, so you can participate with us. This week's suggestion came from Zach. It is the 2009 movie Mother, not to be confused with Mother with an exclamation point, the Darren Aronofsky movie, or Albert Brooks's Mother. But first we're (laughs) going to talk about... Uh, what we've been watching lately. Zach, why don't we start with you? What have you been watching lately? Yeah, uh, just trying to check up, catch up on some TV shows. Uh, a couple ones that I wanted to shout out was I uh, finished watching Hunters on Amazon and just really loved it. I thought it was really well done. Um, great show and, you know, obviously highly fictionalized, but somewhat based off of true events. Um, but I, I thought that was really well done. And, um, yeah, it just kind of puts into perspective a lot of the stuff that's been coming along this year in terms of, like, you know, civil unrest and things like that. Um, I did find it strange that Al Pacino was, like, the main Jewish person. Uh, (laughs) It was always like, he's great, don't get me wrong, but it's like, I don't know if that, I mean, they could have probably... He was a Puerto Rican, Um, so... Yeah, yeah. He can be whatever he wants. Um, I guess so, I guess so. Uh, that and, um, uh, oh, there was something else I watched too. Oh, I've started, uh, season two of Umbrella Academy. I gotta say, um, uh, season one, I was not that impressed with, but I was like, all right, I got through it. Season two is awesome. It feels like they took a page out of Watchmen's book and were like, let's step this up a level and like make, and like have a message and like, let's, let's have a, a, like a. I don't know, just a better story. I guess season one was a lot of just setting up for season two. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm cruising through it. I'm like three episodes away. Um, So that's pretty much it. Other than that, like, you know, The Office and other random comedies and stuff. But those two have been my my main watches recently. I'm glad you're finding, like, alternate superhero stuff to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. Since uh, we haven't had an Avengers movie in almost a year now. It's, Which is it's hurting my brain. <laughs> yeah. As uh, season two of The Boys comes out in September, I'm really the looking boys. forward to that. Yeah. It was really good first season. Alicia, how about you? Well, the main thing we've watched this week, because to be honest, we haven't watched a ton of TV. We've been kind of busy, but uh, it's been the Umbrella Academy also. So uh, we we had never watched the first season. So we started watching it randomly and just kind of have been totally marathon watching it whenever we have time when the both both of us are together so we're also in the middle i guess of season two um and yeah i mean it's unusual for us we really haven't watched a different movie or something else right now just because we haven't had tons of time i think that was part of it too was you know since it's an hour episode versus a two or maybe more hour movie i think we've just when we've had time here and there we're just like let's just throw on an umbrella academy and just watch some more so that's and it's been so good that that's been great for us we've been happy with that yeah, I actually, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't like the first season that much, Zach, because I think we kind of loved it. Uh, I, I think they kind of went balls to the wall with the plot on the second season, from what I can tell. And I do like that they're touching a little bit harder on the race topic uh, by throwing them back in the early 60s, kind of did that by default. But um, I, yeah, I think it's been a really great show. 
I think we're especially yeah. enjoying that. That first episode, the second season, really kind of the opener really kind of blew us away. We thought that was great. And yeah. uh, I think Klaus has quickly bef- become our favorite character. Yeah, he's really fun, especially in season two with the whole guru thing. I really mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. My thing with season one was that I, it's like, I didn't, I, I'm sorry, I didn't not, not like it, but it was, uh, it came out during the same time or the same year as this other show called uh, Deadly Class that was on sci-fi. And I they actually didn't get a second season. But I thought that in terms of like almost being the same idea where it's like a group of kids, so to speak, who are like killers or assassins or have powers or whatever that Deadly Class had done a better job in terms of telling a story and giving me characters that I liked and things like that. So I think it was just that comparison at the time. And, and it's like now, well, Deadly Class is not getting a second season, but Umbrella Academy is moving on. So I'm feeling more connected to it, I suppose, this time, as opposed to having like two shows that are almost identical competing for my love. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, the Umbrella Academy has that My Chemical Romance uh, connection boost that the other one probably doesn't yes. have. So that's the, true the writer yeah. for the umbrella academy is in my chemical romance and i didn't know that know. yeah that's he's interesting <laughs> he's the lead singer gerard mm-hmm. way mm. <laughs> sounds like something i'll never watch um so right. uh <laughs> i've uh I've, I've seen a couple of things uh i watched a movie called cbgb uh from back in 2013 starring Alan Rickman as the founder of the CBGB club in New York. And it kind of goes through how he got that started and how he kind of just accidentally fell into uh, bringing all of these artists that would not have a place to play otherwise into the spotlight. Um, It's kind of a, it it runs kind of afoul of the, uh, uh, Hey, we got the rights to these like, eight really great songs and we're going to play them all the way through sort of thing. Like it doesn't buckle down and tell you the story so much of a lot of the stuff Um, in the trailer for the movie. uh, They show the police playing there. And that's literally the last thing that happens in the movie is, is the police play there. Um, but, and it, it, it does this thing where like every time a band gets up there, like it freeze frames and like the, the camera sort of moves a little bit and it puts all the names of the people there. And it's like, do, 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 the Ramones, do, 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 Blondie. <laughs> so well, it's I, kind of over the top and ridiculous, but it's also fun watching Alan Rickman, like just Alan Rickman, his way through like why am I running this club for all of these degenerates? <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, I miss him. So does it do like anything historically accurate as far as like the people in the crowd as well? Because I think that would be interesting. Because I, I always hear these stories in random rock books that I read about so-and-so, so-and-so play at the CBGBs, and that's how they blew up or... You know, I mean, they talk Brian about, Eno was that happened to be in the crowd and these three shows or whatever. And they talk about that one in uh, Max's KC, I think, is the other one that gets brought up a lot. They talk about some of them getting signed. Like the guy that runs CBGB's um, signed the Dead Boys to his label. Like he made up a, or started managing them. 
He didn't sign him to a record yeah. label. He started became their manager. Um, and they like demolished his van, which was like his only possession, um, and lost him all kinds of money. Um, they go into that a bit. They also go into the history of Punk Magazine, which was started by some kids that were like part of that, and some like journalists that were part of that club scene, like that came in and saw shows there. Um, they talk about the uh, the bathroom that was never cleaned for like thirty five years, that sort of stuff. Um, that's all interesting. It's I think it's it's about 75 or so percent accurate to history and then the rest of it's dramatized um they have (laughs) there's a scene where uh iggy pop jumps on stage while blondie's playing and takes the microphone away from debbie harry and makes them play uh uh let me be your dog and so he and debbie harry like duet that song on the show and in the end credits, like I watched all the way to the end because I was going to see like what you know music credits and stuff they had. They there's a line in the credits that says, "And yes, we know that Iggy Pop was never at CBGB. Deal with it." So, <laughs> <laughs> was the were the covers serviceable at least? Like all the songs that they I played don't think as they used not covers. The band. I don't think they used. Yeah. I think they were the recordings. Oh, well, that's pretty because they least. sounded great. Um, and they weren't really like they didn't do a uh, like profoundly great job of casting lookalikes. So you know, there's just these three guys, and that's the police. It's like okay, whatever you say. But <laughs> it's it sounded like the right people. Um, there was only one section where the um, I think it was when the Dead Boys were like starting to catch interest where they actually use the audio from the room. I'm really good. My ear is really good for whether that was recorded where you at, like what you're looking at is what's recorded versus this is done in a studio and they're, you know, miming it. So I think that was like the only time that they really used stuff that was there. And that was just like someone randomly hitting a cymbal and like the stage falling over and stuff like that. So I mean, so I tried to watch the HBO series Vinyl a long time yeah. back, and I think the thing that slowed me down the most and turned me off of it so quickly was just the covers that were played by all the the fake bands in the show were so far off and terrible of the versions that I know and love that I was just like, I can't, I can't get through. Yeah, that's a copyright thing. You can, you can, you're, you can legally play covers in your whatever you want. Um, but you can't use the original recordings. So that's the thing. But yeah, I mean, they they obviously had uh, permission from Blondie and the police, you know, at least for a few songs of each of theirs. I think Blondie probably got the most, um, like, presence in the movie. Um, Talking Heads was in it, too. Um, the guy that got to play David Byrne was actually pretty good. Um, and then they showed at the end of the movie, um, sort of like the coda of it is the actual, uh, talking heads induction into the rock and roll hall of fame. And they bring Alan Rickman's, the the guy that Alan Rickman is playing, they bring him on stage and go on like a three minute. Thank you. That if it weren't for this guy, there would be no talking heads kind of thing. 
So, uh, I also watched uh, a series called "The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia." Um, I heard about that. It popped up in my uh, suggestions a couple of times, and I kept thinking it was about white supremacy, and I didn't want to watch it. And then I found out that it's this Johnny Knoxville series about this like criminal family that have the last name White. And so I watched it, and it was entertaining enough. And then lastly, uh, I watched a... Uh, it's a fairly new uh, four-part series on uh, the Bobbitt case called Lorena. And it does a pretty good job of recontextualizing what that case was like or what it meant at the time that it was happening, like what else was going on around it. They dig into like um, the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill thing uh, around it. And uh, they talk about um, there's, there's a couple of uh, shots of Joe Biden in there trying to get like sexual harassment laws passed and those sorts of things. Um, but it really, what really strikes me about it is, you know, it's, it's called Lorena. Um, both John Wayne and Lorena are interviewed in it and they both give their sides of the story. And the filmmaking is done in a way that is very, um, uh, very clinical. It's, it's, it doesn't appear to take a side in the proceedings of what's going on. They just let these people say what they're going to say. And, uh, by the third episode, it's like, wow, here's all the stuff that the late night hosts who were making fun of this case didn't watch. Like, here's all the stuff that she's talking about in her trial about what led her to this point and, and why she was in this state and how she absolutely... um managed to get away with a uh, uh, insanity plea, which is not what it's called in Virginia. It's called something weird, but she got off with insanity plea. And then to her horror realized that being declared not guilty by insanity meant that she had to spend at least 45 days in the mental hospital. And uh, she was not thrilled about that. So, um, but it's an interesting, you know, an interesting true crime story. And, uh, look back at 1993 and like they show every, like every, every comedian you can think of made jokes about it and they're all in there. They're all in this documentary. It's like Whoopi Goldberg, Robin Williams, like they're all every, everybody's Bobbit joke is in this, in this thing. So, it's interesting. I remember that being a big deal when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, so sort of date myself, ninety <laughs> three, and being like, she did what to his what? It was actually. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't realize this until I watched it. Um, it happened on my fifteenth birthday. Oh wow! <laughs> that was the day that she did it. Wow. So yeah, crazy. We got through all that without making our own jokes. I think we should all give ourselves a big pat right. on the back. We've grown. <laughs> We've matured. 
Well, there's a lot of other crazy shit in the world now that we've experienced that that's no longer <laughs> that really? big of a deal. <laughs> Tell me about it. So, uh, you know, I didn't have any new TV programs that I watched, um, but I did, and I've come very close to finishing, I'll probably finish it in the next day or two, a long-running podcast series that I thought I would share. Um, it's called Presidential. Uh, it's done yeah. by uh, Lillian Cunningham of the Washington Post, um, and it is totally worth do, uh, working your way through. Even the unknown presidents are really kind of entertaining to learn about because she does a really great job of putting the context of what's going on in history into the episodes. Yeah. Um, and honestly, she kind of takes some surprising tactics. I mean, she only has like 45 minutes to talk about some of the most important people in our country. So she actually takes some kind of like really specific decisions about, well, I'm not going to spend all episode talking about this thing you probably think I'm going to talk right. about. Instead, I'm going to talk about this. Don't focus on so what like, people already know. Right. Well, and some of it is tying it in with what we know today versus the way we've always been taught to learn about these presidents because there's a lot of controversy with you know history unfolds and then you you kind of revisit it and you kind of rethink about it and so the test of time kind of plays itself out and so someone you might have thought was a great president way back then isn't so much now like they were not particularly kind to uh, Bill Clinton I mean honestly no Uh, in fact George W. Bush came out looking a lot more squeaky clean than he did, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying they were accurate with that, but... No, but that's the his, right approach. His legacy is what it is. That's the right approach is to say, like, you know, this this beloved president, we need to look at what he did wrong, and this despised president, we need to look at what he did right, you know? Um, I guess my biggest question would be, did they talk about LBJ's pants, because that's one of my favorite like presidential things of all time so lbj Uh, you might have to refresh my memory i don't remember her talking about that lbj uh apparently before he was vp and while he was vp and while he was president if he was in a in a meeting with like his close you know advisors or whatever um after a certain point he just he just undid his pants it was more comfortable yeah. that oh. way. You well, know, he had I his, think his meetings were in the bathroom too. That's so they used that privy council term from old England for his yeah his small group of he, advisors. He would sit there and take a shit while they were meeting. Yeah. Well, I think she may have jokingly said, "Look, we're not going to talk about that pants thing." Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and she did that a lot with quite a few of the the, the so called stories about presidents all the way back. Sure. I, and actually, some of the more interesting stories were of the unknown presidents. Um, yeah. Like the William Henry Harrison's of the of the you know that there's really no Chester A. Chester a. Arthur. There's like not much yep. history there. It's actually really interesting to hear what she had to say about them, and, and not specifically her, but like who her guests were and what they brought up. Um, she actually was supposed to have Robert Caro. She did this um, week by week. She literally recorded them the week before. I'm sure she did prep before that, but yeah, uh, she was supposed to have Robert Caro for the the Johnson episode, but I guess he got laryngitis or something. And so yeah. she had a different author come in for him. But she did have quite a few really good guests as the whole thing went through. It it was pretty interesting. So it was a good, really good series. And I, 
you don't have to be in love with the president specifically to enjoy it. I think it's just a generally a good American history lesson overall. Yep. And I think it actually really applies to what we're look, dealing with today because obviously they talk about African-Americans in context of what was going on then, what we've kind of come to think of as like most of us of our age have been taught in school and how they've kind of like, you know, the whole, you know, half those founding fathers, most of them all had slaves, you know, right. so where they really sat on that, they, it's a, it's a good lesson on all that. So, yeah. So, um, we watched a movie. Some of us <laughs> watched another movie. movie, but the four of us watched the same movie. <laughs> uh, it was called Mother. It is the Bong Joon-ho directed uh, Mother from 2009. It was Zach's suggestion. Uh, I don't think any of us had seen it before. Nathan, why don't we start with you? What did you think of not Mother, not Albert Brooks's Mother, but Mother? I've actually seen all three. It's going to be really hard for me to I have to now keep seen all three as mind. well. <laughs> yes, they're so alike, aren't they? <laughs> uh, and actually, I checked out the IMDb to see how, just how many of the Bong Joon-ho, if I'm saying his name right, uh, movies I've actually seen. I think it's with Mother, it's like five or six now. So yeah. um, I might have actually enjoyed this one just about as much as Parasite. Um, it was less uh, lampoony than a couple of his other ones. Like, I... I've liked um, Snowpiercer and I think it was The Host, but I also think in Okja, but I think they're a little bit on the silly side for me. And this one fit more in with Parasite in that it is, it's definitely strange. Uh, there's some strange things going on in it, but uh, I think this one actually harkened back to the one we watched not that long ago. Uh, uh, the one that you had suggested, Dale, with the, the, the about the, Mother that lost her baby. Help me remember. The Iranian movie, I think. Oh, a separation. A separation. Oh, yeah. yeah, this one felt a little bit like that because it it kind of revealed itself a lot as it kind of went in a, in a really nice way. Uh, and uh, I thought the lady playing the mother herself was fantastic. I was kind of surprised to see that she hadn't been in much else since then. Um, even just his movies, quite frankly. Um, but... I, I enjoyed this one a lot. I thought the cinematography was fantastic, especially that, that last shot uh, when they're on the bus or she's on the bus and she pricks herself and starts dancing. Yeah. That's, that's got to be a really tough shot to get because uh, they were shooting from another car and were through they? the windows and trying to get I that wondered sun. About that. I, mean, it was, I wondered about that. That seemed, that seemed artificial to me. It seemed like they were shaking the camera and nothing was moving. They couldn't have had much of a budget. I mean, they had to have... I mean, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll put a platform and actually hook it into the bus or whatever. But it's not just that. They had to, like, line it up with the sun and... And it, I think it actually it, it, it goes with her, right? Like, it follows yeah. her. So it's a tracking shot. So yeah. essentially it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough shot. And they had to pull her out of that crowd of people when everybody was silhouettes even. I mean, it it's a tough shot. And there were quite a few in the movie that were probably tough too, but that one really stood out. I was like, wow. So not to get built into one shot for the entire movie because there's a lot going on in that movie sure. more than that, but it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Alicia? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Uh, I, I also loved it. I thought it was great. Um, 
I really li- I haven't seen as, as much of Bong Joon-ho's as uh, Nathan and maybe some of you guys. I think I've just seen uh, Parasite, now this, and uh, Snowpiercer. But um, I really like that he'll he'll start a movie that then I kind of think, you know, my mind is always, when I'm watching something new, trying to find the formula. You know, like expecting something to happen and then, of course, enjoying it a lot more when it goes a little bit different way so i really like that in particular with his i i really don't know what's going to happen like i totally get suckered into thinking it's going to go a certain direction and then it goes a different direction and then when i think it's reaching a conclusion and we've got our natural arc then something else happens and so i really appreciate that and with his there's always that like underlying current of kind of a black comedy but not quite all the way so you have those moments especially at the beginning of this movie, I think you kind of start leaning into, this is going to be a crazy black comedy. They're beating up, you know, golfers on the golf course, you know, and stuff like that. And then it, it goes in a direction I didn't expect. And there's still little, you know, it kind of goes hard on the black comedy at the beginning. And there's still little bits of that throughout or little unexpected, you know, people's, um, you know, gestures or a camera shot or something that's kind of comedic. But in general, it's not a comedic plot. Um, but I thought I thought it was great. I loved it. I, I also really liked the actors uh, that they had for it. I thought they did a great job. And so much of it, even you know, not knowing Korean and just reading the subtitles, but you can still get so much from the inflection of their voices and how they're reading the lines and acting things out in the movie, even not knowing the language. So it was really great. Yeah, so I enjoyed it overall. Um, I liked the twists of it. I liked the themes. Um, uh, I liked the whole thing about how the like things that she had taught him to deal with his, uh, his mental disorder were the exact things that came back to bite him and, and destroy everything. Um, I thought all of that was good. Um, I liked her, uh, kind of going around and, and being a detective, but it not feeling like you know, she's suddenly an expert in detection. She's just, you know, this half crazed woman going from place to place and looking for things. Um, the, uh, the reveal at the end that the son had found her acupuncture kit was great. Like that was like the fourth twist in a row that was like, wow, I didn't see that one coming either. Um, I, I guess my my complaint with the movie is that I think it it has some spots where it drags unnecessarily. Um, I don't think it needs to be quite as long as it is. There's a lot of just sort of contemplative shots. There's a lot of just watching her walk across a field shots. And I get the emotion that that's trying to convey. Um it so it 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 doesn't quite like the, there's a mystery here but it doesn't sort of rise to the level of suspense or thriller that it might have if they had kept it if they had edited it a little bit tighter um in some of those spots i think it's a really well made movie um i don't think it's uh it's nearly on the same level as parasite 
Um, I, I, I would watch Parasite again in a heartbeat. Um, this, this movie, it's, it's going to be probably a month or two before I would like sit down and actually watch this again or introduce it to somebody new, uh, to see it. Um, it's, um, I, I, I like, uh, watching movies with subtitles and I'm, I'm into that. Um, what I, I think I have some, uh, some kind of a bias about subtitled movies that also have long stretches where there's no dialogue and there's not really any forward momentum in the plot. Um, because I feel like I need to focus. So I'm focusing on those subtitles. And then when there are no subtitles, there is no dialogue and there is no action. It's like, I'm, I'm staring at paint drying. I'm staring at, at, She's walking through the field. I get it. Can we just know that she got to the other side of the field? Because I know she'll get there. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. But um, overall, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to have to say this because it's tradition, but um, I know you didn't know what it was going into it. You're you're one of those <laughs> uh, one of those guys that just picks a movie even if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Zach, what the hell with mother? Not <laughs> mother. Not Albert Brooks's mother, but Bong Joon-ho's mother. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely been a fan of his work since I... I think the first thing I ever saw from him was... It was I'm pretty sure it was Snowpiercer. Uh, and then Okja. Uh, it, I named my cat, actually, Okja. Um, just because that's how much I really enjoyed that film. And so I hadn't seen this one, and it was recommended to me by a, diff- a bunch of different people, and I'm glad I finally got a chance to check it out. And it it delivered. I think it definitely delivered. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Bong... Uh, I can never Bong say Jun-ho. Bong, Bong Joon-ho. I don't know why I can't remember how to... S- I don't know. Anyway. You spoke um, out of a bong, the month of June. I know the June, bong part. <laughs> and then you, you, you garden with you a go hoe. To your, Oh, yeah, got it. Um, but no, I, I think that it was very, yeah, cinematically very well done. Um, there were some really nice shots. Uh, that, that cinematography was really great. The, the story was really well thought out. I almost feel like it's, he's sort of like, and it, this is not necessarily a direct comparison, but he's sort of like Christopher Nolan in the way that like what Christopher Nolan does well, it, Bong Joon-ho does well. Like it's like the twists and the leading you to think a certain way is just is it's yeah you have no idea what the expectation is um, or what the result's gonna be uh, and you get kind of blindsided by it but it feels good because so much is predictable these days in terms of storytelling with certain writers and directors and stuff and so um, yeah there was I, I it had a slow start for me. I definitely felt like uh, that drag at the beginning. Of course, it's setting up some things, and um, it's an evente where we get the first shot of her in the field. And she's dancing, and then we finally get back to that field after she kills the junker, uh, and then we move forward. And I really like that. I do. I'm a big fan of the evente. I really, I really like that and appreciate that. And um, yeah, just some very interesting relationships between the mother and her son, the son and the friend. The girls, uh, you know, that that do the phone stuff, the pervert phones. Um, I mean, the cops, the the legal system of South Korea, especially in rural South Korea as opposed to Seoul. I mean, it's just like I loved the deep dive into another culture and how they handle 
this story and how it's it's presented it's so fascinating and i really thought that it was done so well in in all of its capacity it, I don't, uh, yeah i'm I, i'm glad that everyone kind of enjoyed it i was like i really liked it um but you know it was definitely a gamble um and i think at first too even with the uh with the mother and son relationship i was like well this could go one way <laughs> but it definitely went another way um and uh yeah 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 very fascinating just even like the the thought processes of some of the characters god and they say out loud just like in the dialogue too like how they're feeling or what they think they should be doing or like oh i have so many great lines um i mean just the one that where the kids like why do you think he put her up there on the roof i've been thinking about this a lot it's like you put her up on the roof. <laughs> right. You fucking did it. You did it because you wanted her to get. It's like, oh, it's like so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely delivered. Well, and you wonder, like, how much of that he does remember versus, you know, versus it just being bits and pieces. Because um, when they reveal that the reason that he throws the rock at her is that she calls him a retard. Yeah. It's like, does he just like see black at that point? Does he just disappear and go into whatever mode? And then we've seen him do it. It's obvious that he didn't mean to kill her or know that she was dead, you know, but then she, he does take the body up to the roof. So is that all a blackout? Then that whole thing, that's that's a question. That's a question mark. Cause we, you know, He's saying it like, you know, well, this is what I would do, but he's not necessarily saying this is what I did or, you know, it's the OJ Simpson. If I did <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> well, in the fact, I mean, obviously there's got to be some kind of a blackout component there, even though he might have then remembered or recalled it later because he was doing some of that because otherwise he probably wouldn't have talked to his mom about the guy he remembered and what he looked like that saw him do it. Right. You know what I mean? So Not to mention the murder attempt when he was five. Exactly. So, now wait, do we think that he actually knew he did it by the end of the movie? I, that I don't it's know. question mark. I don't think so. Yeah. It's a question mark. I get the impression he maybe didn't. Yeah. I I, I don't think I, the movie I haven't says... I considered it, honestly, because the mom discovers it through the the, the junk, junk collector man. guy. Well, and yeah. how much does he realize about finding his mom's acupuncture kit at the ruins of the the junk man's house? I mean, is he just like, oh, I found this there, you know? But does he put two and two together even with yeah. that? You know that she has anything to do with that? Yeah. And the uh, the crazy CJ character too. And then you get a. Gl- I love that they took her to see him. You know, the cops like, do you really need to go see this guy? And then the audience is like, yes, we need to see this guy. <laughs> and then we see him, and we're like, oh yeah, no, like it, 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 there's it's I don't know, he has it's Down just like insane. Yeah, yeah, it's just, exactly. It's like, of course, he's, he's gonna say whatever he and wants he's to say. Like, well, and like they, so they found blood on him that matched her. And yeah, the nosebleed from from a nosebleed, and so yeah, like that that all checks out. But it's better evidence than the golf ball. But they Ugh. haven't talked to any of the friends that all these observers that knew she got nosebleeds all the time, which is also interesting. Yeah, but it's I mean, like they just don't give a shit about yeah. solving this, yeah. and you know they they pin it on on 
one mentally challenged person and then it turns out that there's more evidence against this other mentally challenged person they're like yeah whatever you know swings and roundabouts uh you you brought up christopher nolan and i thought um that's one thing about this movie that uh i do see uh connecting to parasite is that at least and those are the only two movies i've seen that have that the story was by uh, Bong Joon-ho as well as the direction is that Christopher Nolan you know tends to write the stories and either write or co-write the screenplays for his movies and that's the case here the story's by Bong Joon-ho and he's a co-writer of the screenplay and I feel like that really cements that vision all the way through like he knew exactly he had this whole movie in his head planned out and it you know he brought it out that way um, and that may also have to have uh an impact on the the sort of dwelling scenes that I wasn't as big of a fan of. That I, I think when people when people are creatively invested in something uh, being a certain way from the beginning, and then they get to make it, they don't they don't make as many uh, choices about like keeping it moving or um, like to them this this three minute scene if we're walking through a field is really important. And to the audience, it's like, no one's going to be talking about that scene except me who was bored by it. (laughs) So just out of curiosity, did anybody in this group see the trailer before they watched the movie? I purposefully did not. No. Yeah, we didn't either. I mean, sometimes that kind of, I ask that because sometimes I think that can set you up for failure sometimes if, yeah, if a movie doesn't quite match what the trailer editor thought it should be, <laughs> I wonder if this yeah. movie. I I didn't look into it, but I don't I don't know if this movie even got a U.S. theatrical release. Um, yeah, because the first movie of his I ever heard of was Snowpiercer. Betting not, and then it I does th- have American yeah. reviews, but I don't you know, like but Roger. Well, they also well, could Roger have... Ebert wrote one, so it was contemporary. Hmm. Okay, but... yeah, it might have had like an art house release then at some point. It, yeah, I, I have another question about the plot, um, and it may not be able to be answered. But I was just curious what you guys thought the the money that the mom has at the end. She gets she finds some money to give to the friend, uh, Jintai, I think his name was Jintai to you know to kind of his repayment for accusing him and then of course he's doing some stuff roughing up some people for any clue where that money may have come from is that maybe a loan from her friend across the way who owned the shop that had the photography studio or something like that i don't have an answer for that i thought it was weird that yeah. she kept getting money um there was there was one time especially where she just had a ton of money that she handed to yeah. him um yeah, it was like five thousand i don't know if that was like if she got some of her retainer back from the lawyer or if she told the friend uh, that she needed money for the lawyer or something, but yeah, they don't explicitly say they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I just looked it up and uh, the movie played five film festivals in the U S including one in Chicago, uh, but it was never theatrically released. So that's probably how Hmm. Ebert saw it. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't read any of the reviews. I just noticed when I was kind of looking at IMDb that it had said Roger Ebert for a review. So. 
Well, and I looked up Bong Joon's Ho's um, IMDb page, and I guess there's two other earlier releases that he did before this one that were full-length features. I don't know where they're playing anywhere, if they're streaming somewhere, but they might be worth digging up. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, to your point about trailers, I actually really don't like trailers anymore. I think that it does a huge disservice to the fan base of any film and uh, or or even uh, a director, I I don't I don't know what it is about the studios that are just like we're gonna take everything you've got, give it to some other random person who kind of knows the idea of the story, and let them cut together something that basically gives you the beginning, middle, and end of the entire film. Like especially blockbusters, you're just like I, you just showed me the end of Hobbs and Shaw, uh, <laughs> you know, like um, so like I'm definitely not a big fan of of trailers these days they really make me upset uh and i choose to avoid them at all costs even star wars um <laughs> and uh and then to the other point about the money i think that it was potentially maybe the friend because she did ask about the loan um you know possibly she had some money stashed away i don't think like dale said there's no real answer there's just like you know she just somehow comes up with it so I assume that she just has her ways. She does a lot of trade, like a lot of bartering. Yeah. Um, you know, like when she gives a lot of medicine out and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if maybe there's, or free acupuncture or whatever, you know. Um, I also thought that was funny that like the rich woman came and she was like, her husband's a part of going to be part of the, um, you know, like commission or whatever. And she's like, are you still doing acupuncture without a license? Cause we can't have this. I'm dealing with a lot of like landlord shit recently in my personal <laughs> life. So I really related to that sort of like, she, I, she felt like she was the landlord or something coming down on her being like, you can't do these things. Cause I know better. And I was like, oh, I hate people like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's, she really just hustled to like do what she could. And I almost kind of wonder, Anybody else wonder about where the baby came from? Like where her son came from? Obviously, there's no father figure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, they don't they don't really talk about it. There's a very personal relationship where the kid even is to the point in mentality where he's like, I sleep with my mother. And people bring it up and they're like, you sleep with your mother? Like, kind of like, okay, what's the deal here? You know, anybody, yeah. any thoughts? I thought about that too. I think that's one of many of these things where it is just this hanging thing and you don't know it and it's not necessarily essential to the plot, but then you just sit and wonder about it because I was doing that a lot too. Like they kind of start this whole thread of him sleeping with his mom. They show him coming home late and grabbing her boob when he gets into bed and all this. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, huh. And you're kind of waiting for that to, you know, be explained or be discussed more and then it's not, you know. And same thing with, you know, she's talking to the, um, the the woman who develops film and saying this acupuncture will help you get pregnant, you know, are you trying to get pregnant? And then you don't hear any more about that. You just hear that little snippet about I did this and I got pregnant right away, you know. So we that was all we heard for that. So yeah, it was lots of little things like that that are just kind of there hanging, and you wonder about and anticipate maybe hearing more about it, and then you don't. I think the implication is that whoever the father of the baby uh, or the father of the son is. Uh, was not interested in supporting a mentally disabled child, um, a mentally disabled son. I, th I think he just pieced out and left her to deal with it. Um, it's also why I think she reacts so strongly at the end uh, when she talks to the the second guy that they accuse of the crime when he says he doesn't have a mother. 
and she just she can't can't deal with it so mm. um yeah. i looked at the earlier uh bong joon ho features and what's available um his first feature barking dogs never bite is on hulu and hoopla so that one's pretty easy to get to and then the second one memories of murder is not anywhere but then the newer ones i'm sure uh the host mother snowpiercer okja and parasite are probably pretty easy to find i i'm i'm really excited just that he's starting to get his do you know like i mean the fact that he not swept the oscars necessarily well, he made but the best picture one <laughs> so he was he won yeah quite a few yeah 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 <laughs> and i mean like i said i watched parasite and i was like you know i enjoyed it i i probably need to give it a second run um but you know i, I just everything i've watched of his it's just enjoyable it's good it's interesting it's different it's unique and i mean that to me only really signals that he's going to give us even better and more stories that are going to entertain us, you know? Um, And he's sort of on this trend of doing something every couple of years right now. Obviously things with the world being different, but I'm really looking for, obviously now the pressure's on and everybody wants the next one. It's got to be a, you know, another gold mine or whatever, but um, not that parasite was a gold mine per se, but I think it was like a hidden gem that people found and loved um so uh, oh and there was a connection between parasite and this so one of the golfing guys was the same guy who was the basement guy in parasite <laughs> nice i knew yeah. there had to be at least one <laughs> yeah i was gonna say yeah. that, that was the, uh, you the uh the, the the bar still has not been raised as far as opening uh opening action scenes taking place on a golf course from ninja 3 the domination that still has the greatest <laughs> golf course fight of all time. Uh, yeah, this was another movie that premiered at uh, TIFF 2019. And I think this was one I actually could have gone to. But by the time I uh, like figured out that it was a movie I would want to see, like, you know, there wasn't like I, I hadn't like committed the director's name to memory from Snowpiercer or anything like that. And the midnight, it was part of the midnight madness series, which is as it sounds, it's movies they show at midnight uh, every night of the festival. So they have one program for each night of the festival like this. And so that was where the premiere of it was. And we didn't see that, but then we started hearing from a lot of people that it was like their favorite thing of the festival and so we were trying to see it we didn't end up seeing it until we got back uh to our home city but uh oddly enough when we saw um takashi miike's new movie uh at a midnight madness show bong joon ho was like hanging out outside with takashi miike and they were just like letting people walk up and take pictures of them and they were talking to each other and like uh, just hanging out and wow. all that stuff. So like I was like within a couple of feet of the both of them and just like, like I'm, I don't know enough about either of you to have a, any kind of conversation, but <laughs> it's cool. I, I got to see these two, uh, these two really awesome directors and the new Takashi Miyake film was just uh, so good. What was the title of that one? First Love. First Love is the name of it. So freaking good. Nice. 
Um, one of the scenes I wanted to talk about too was the uh, Dale. I think you brought it up a little bit earlier. The interrogation scene uh, where you're talking about she was a detective, but not really. But it was like the friend and her interrogating the two. I guess like meth heads or whatever they were. Essentially, <laughs> yes. Uh, they were they were huffers. They were glue huffers. <laughs> They're like using the yeah. amusement um, park to like make cells and. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Like watching, yeah, the cells. And then like he's interrogating it one way. It was like good cop, bad cop. And then she goes in and he like gives her a cigarette like a cop would. And then like another cop. It was like, oh, it was just, again, sort of like black comedy. Like Alicia was saying, there was so many good moments where it's like, yeah, it go, the tone shifts a lot. Yeah. But I enjoy it. And it's not so harsh that it pulls you out of the story it actually exactly, i think engages yeah. you in a new way which is not easy to do i think that was the i point. mean most directors i think that was the point was yeah. like it's not gonna the, and i think that's why um like some of these uh, uh some of these movies that that we watch especially like south korean movies um japanese movies will have just like really weird stuff happen um, or a really weird character that just sort of comes in and does something like comic relief wise. And it's just there to like keep you from keep you from nodding off or keep you from from getting too comfortable with with what you're watching. But yeah, um, Parasite's big deal was that uh, it was the first foreign language movie to win best picture. Um, that's the big, the big upset, the big newsworthy thing about it. Peace out, I guess. I don't know. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm.